given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. And this is why I agreed to appear before you today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Fire You Can't Put Out. My name is Melvin. I want to thank you so much for being here. So um, it has been a few weeks since I have decided to get onto this microphone and talk to you. And the reason for that being is this presidential transition, very different from other years, uh, but very much in line with what this particular president has done with respect to conducting himself over the last number of years. Um, this year is all completely abnormal. Now, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. I'm simply stating a fact when I say that. So even though Donald Trump lost again, uh, last time he lost by 3 million votes and got to become president, he has now so far lost by six, almost seven million votes, and he hopes that that will help him retain the presidency. I think that this is a bonkers idea, but at the same time, I really don't expect anything less from him. I just want to remind everybody that the last time we had a presidential transition, uh, the election was called shortly after midnight on election day, and the very next day, Hillary Clinton conceded, and the very next day after that, Barack Obama uh, directed the GSA to start working with the incoming Trump administration and even went so far as to invite the Obamas to the White House to begin that transition and to provide the public with the optics that they needed to see in what a peaceful transition looks like. One of the reasons I have stayed away from this microphone for a number of weeks is because I felt like anything that I said on this microphone, especially during election week or just thereafter, would have been quickly outdated. But what we've seen up to this point is we've watched the Trump administration lose case after case after case after case trying to overturn an election, trying to overturn the will of the people. So I want you to remember something really important. Mitch McConnell held up a whole bunch of uh, federal judge seats. When Obama was president, at a certain point, he just stopped. And so when Donald Trump came into office, he had somewhere in the neighborhood of like 150 or 160 um, open federal open federal seats on the bench. And then, of course, the way Donald Trump plays that is, I don't know why that lazy end bomb didn't fill all these seats. Well, it wasn't that. Mitch McConnell kept them open because he was hoping for a GOP win. And when Donald Trump lost by 3 million votes in 2016, the GOP got the win that they want. This is, this is sort of the backward-ass thing that we're dealing with. And then they stocked all of the courts with all of these hard-right... Some of these folks, uh, some of these folks, and, and they're still filling seats. And these seats are filled by the Senate. Some of these folks uh, where the American Bar Association gives ratings to all of them, a lot of them have had... Fairly good ratings, which in the way the Bar Association, they don't, they don't judge you based on politics. They judge you based on your qualifications. And any number of these judges that were, uh, these judge seats that were filled by Mitch McConnell, and D Donald Trump doesn't know his ass from his face. So Donald Trump didn't fill them. They used Donald Trump as the president to fill them, but they were actually filled by Mitch McConnell. And any number of these people that filled these seats were deemed as unqualified by the American Bar Association. But see, that doesn't matter. 
You'll remember from the Amy Coney Barrett hearings, the way that they, they kept spinning was they go, well, she's got all the qualifications. And yeah, the American Bar Association said, yes, she had all the qualifications. But some of these, some of these lower federal seats, they, they were not qualified to fill these seats. So they fill up all of these federal judgeships. Okay, and then they put three people on the Supreme Court. The first one was the seat that they stole from Merrick Garland. That was the seat that went empty about a year before the um, Obama administration stepped out. Then the second seat, they were able to get somebody to the GOP was able to broker a deal to get somebody else to step down from the Supreme Court so that they could put in another neo-Nazi corporatist. And then, of course, when we lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg in October, just weeks before the election, they went ahead and filled that seat. So they look at it like this. We have all of these federal judges, right? They've, they've, they've filled all these federal judge seats. So they've got these, these corporatist neo-Nazi judges, a lot of them unqualified, according to the American Bar Association, all over the United States. And then they have the Supreme Court, six to three. And they go, okay, so what's going to happen is we will go ahead and uh, if we if we win the election, yeah, we win the election. But if we lose the election, we will simply go in front of one of Trump's judges. And this has happened. Go in front of Trump's judges and they will give us what we want. Um, or, failing at that, uh, we'll get all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court will take it and then they'll hand uh, the presidency over to Donald Trump. So it's almost like they, they, they believe they got this plan where they can't lose. Because they got all these federal judges, they got the Supreme Court, they go, hey, we win, we win, we lose, we don't really lose, we'll just go to the courts and the courts will give it to us. And they've been going in front of the Trump judges and still not getting what they wanted. Because the thing about, about court, when you appear in front of a judge, if you lie to that judge, that is a crime. And so the Trump lawyer, which is Rudy Giuliani, which is the only guy that would take the job because nobody's serious, they, they, know, they know it's the death knell for their, for their career if they go ahead and take this job as Trump's lawyer to overturn an election. So the only person willing to do that, of course, is Rudy Giuliani. Thanksgiving is this week, and we really should already have um, a concession, which I know that we're never going to get. And there really should be a transitioning happening um, with the GSA helping to facilitate it. And of course, that's not happening. There appears to be, and we've seen this coming for a long time, and I blame social media largely. There seems to be two Americas. Now, you'll famously remember the speech by John Edwards about two Americas, the the rich America and sort of the poor America. Those are your two Americas. But, um, and I use this analogy a lot and I, f I feel like it's very apt. The two Americas now are those of us that have to live in reality and those of us who get to pick our own reality. And that's unsustainable. So I want to play this clip for you. This is somebody that called into the Rush Limbaugh show um, just this week. And it's about a minute and a half clip, and I want to address a few of the things that the caller says to Rush, and then I want to get into the picture that we're looking at right now, okay? So here we go. Hi, Rush. It's great to be here. Um, I'm going to try to hold myself together and not get emotional here, but um, I want to harken back to your statement about Georgia. 
yeah. and about the Trump voter. Yeah. And they should be very afraid, very afraid. Trump and you are all we have left, Rush. We've spent our lives voting for these people because they're not them. And we just can't do it anymore. We're tired of being stabbed in the back, Rush. It's better to have an enemy that's in front of you than a friend that's behind you that's just going to stab you. They do it every time. We have a Republican-controlled state, and they won't do an audit of the vote. They won't. They just basically told every Georgian that they don't care. We were in Washington on Saturday. Me and my 33-year-old son, we saw more people than we've ever seen in our lifetime, ever. And we're season ticket holders for the Ravens, for God's sakes. I've been in crowds of 80,000 people. I've been to Steelers games, for goodness sakes. I have never seen so many people. Yep. No one stands for us, Rush. Only you and Donald Trump. God forbid. What do we have left? I love my president. I'm not, I am not a revolutionary, Rush, but I will die for my president. This man has given more to this country than anybody, and he has no need to. None. He's a billionaire. He doesn't need this. Oh boy, where do I start? Okay, so ladies and gentlemen, I am also not a revolutionary. And I will die for no president, no politician, no House member, no Senate, uh, no mayor, no governor. I won't die for anybody. And I don't care what party they belong to. Um, given more to this country than anybody. The transactional presidency of of Donald J. Trump will be recorded as just that. Of course, the GOP will have their own record keepers uh, who will who will paint him as some sort of a saint. I, I imagine at some point he'll be canonized. But I want to talk about the other thing that that gentleman said in there. He showed up for one of these Stop the Steal rallies, um, which is insane because Donald Trump's trying to steal an election, but they're accusing the Democrats of doing it and okay. But he says, but there were so many people there. I've been in a crowd with 80,000 people. There were so many people there. This is the thing that happens in life. And this is the thing that happens in social media. If I go to a black lives matter rally and I am, st I'm just in a swamp of people, you know, and I, I sorry to use that term just because, because it's thick, you know, uh, I, I am great with being in front of crowds, but I'm not so great with being in crowds. Um, I don't like to be a part of them. So it does. It feels like a feels kind of mucky to me when I'm amongst a lot of people. So anyway, I'm sorry to use the word swamp. But uh, if I go to a Black Lives Matter, Matter rally, it, it, it's it's there's going to be a ton and it's going to look like the whole world agrees with me. OK, um, if you're a neo-Nazi, you go to a Trump rally, it's going to look like the whole world agrees with you. And if you go to social media because they need you to keep coming back. And they need you to keep using their platform so that they can monetize your, um, your attention. It's going to look like the whole world agrees with you. So we now have this thing where we live in two completely different worlds. Um, and these people have effectively become Trump's mushrooms, where, which is to say he keeps them in the dark and he feeds them BS. So here's the way the thinking goes. Okay. If we win, this is the GOP, if we win, then it's legitimate and unquestionable. If we lose, it's clearly fraud of the highest order. We were robbed. The election was stolen with illegal votes. 
illegal votes that came from China or Canada or whatever people have read about in their Facebook feed. What's the difference between a legal and an illegal vote? An illegal vote, in this particular instance, is a vote for Biden. An illegal vote is one for Donald Trump. After the 2016 loss, I personally never hollered about fraud or illegal votes. Um, I personally recognized that neither candidate Trump or Hillary were inspiring to anybody. They were both deeply unpopular. Trump, because he's a lifelong huckster, and Hillary, because she has been a punching bag for the GOP, for the misogynist GOP, for nearly 30 years. And that, that took its toll. Understand that people do not hate Hillary for things that she has said or done. They hate her based on the character of her or the characterization of her that was created and cemented over decades by conservative media outlets. Why did they do it? They did it because she is a smart, ambitious, progressive female. It doesn't matter, though. The smears about Hillary stuck, and they're buried deep in Americans' perceptions of her, making her deeply unpopular. I recognize this, and I was mad at the misogynist but successful GOP. I was also mad at the DNC for picking our candidate in 2016, and I was mad at the Clinton campaign for not spending more time in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. I was also mad that I felt like the Clinton camp took the election for granted. They thought they were going to win for sure. How could they not? How could they not against someone like Donald Trump? And they thought they were going to win so much so that they booked an election night party at a venue with a glass ceiling. Symbolic. Never ever did I assume that the election was stolen because of GOP votes. The GOP votes were illegal. When it ended, I, I Melvin, had to accept the results. And even though it was not my desired outcome, I had to accept the results. I knew that the Russians played a role in helping the Trump campaign, but without evidence of who was swayed by the Kremlin propaganda, I was unable, as a functional, thoughtful human being, I, without evidence, I was unable to assert that it was the Kremlin that actually gave him the election. So that's how I live, okay? I, Melvin, I have to accept reality. I don't get to make things up that fit into my, my chosen reality. Um, I've never been able to do that. Some folks have, however. I've never been there, but the brochure sure looks nice. President Trump lost the election on the morning of Saturday, November 7th, 2020. Trump knew all year that he was on track to lose and immediately began burying conspiracy theories deep in the minds of his cult followers. You know, like that gentleman said, the people who are willing to die for him. If he wins, it's legit. If he loses, it's fraud. There was an article in the New York Times about a gentleman named Rocco from Massachusetts. He's a, a Trump supporter. Um, when he realized that Trump was losing, he immediately began parroting the BS talking points that were spread 
by President Trump, referring to votes that did not favor Trump as illegally cast. Now, what made him so sure that those votes were illegally cast? He does not know anybody who supports Biden. This is that whole, um, if you only look at your social media feed, and social media has done a fabulous job of driving us apart, making sure you stay in your camp and you stay in your camp, and making anybody who disagrees with you is, is automatically the enemy. But just like that guy that went to that, to that rally, you know, that Stop the Steal rally, he saw nothing but Nazis around him, and he was pretty sure everybody was in the world was a Nazi, or at least everybody in America was a Nazi. And when Trump lost, it didn't comport with the reality that had been created for him by himself and by social media. So this gentleman, Rocco, says, I don't know anybody who supports Biden. See, Rocco's world is an echo chamber. His world is filled with people who only agree with him. He only consumes news from Fox, OAN, and Sinclair broadcast stations. By the way, there are hundreds of Sinclair broadcast stations across the U.S. You might have one in your town. They broadcast local news here in Portland. It's our, in here, it's our CBS affiliate. Um, that's Krem. The thing about that is you go to Fox, you go to OAN, you know exactly what you're getting. They, 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 they push themselves as pro-GOP, pro-Trump. But if you've got a Sinclair station, they're a little more opaque because you think that they're just straight up local news, but they're not. They're not. Sinclair uh, is a bunch of billionaires, you know, uh, corporatists, white power, absolutely pro-Trump, but they get into your local news. So Rocco only knows Trump supporters. I feel like I've heard something similar from progressives. See, they don't understand how Trump won. They don't know any Trump supporters. Um, I'm not going to say that I don't. Actually, I, as a matter of fact, because I've been disowned by my father, I guess I don't know any Trump supporters now. That was the last one, and he got rid of me because I wasn't a Trump supporter. So this is the problem. Talking to one another, our friends, our neighbors, it is really the most basic thing that we can do as members of a society, and we're not doing it. And then, of course, we're all in deep shock when things don't go our way. How could Trump have won in 2016? How could Biden have won in 2020? For us as progressives, we make excuses for sure, but we accept the reality. For conservatives, they appear to lack the ability to process and accept a loss, largely because um, they are Trump's mushrooms. He keeps them in the dark and he feeds them BS. Some Trump supporters are racist and there really is um, no two ways about that. They're racist. The balance of them, however, have decided that they are okay with supporting a racist candidate. And you can say that, that, that those people Obviously, those people are still racist, even though they're just, they're maybe not openly racist, but they're just okay with racism. So, but they say, they say that their concerns are, are economic and legitimate. So you can question their piss poor choice on a candidate, but their concerns, however, need to be considered and addressed. Um, one of the things I want to point out about this election is, <laughs> is Biden won. The, the Democrats are narrowly holding the House, 
And right now, we're not sure who runs the Senate. It might be completely evenly split, which then, of course, um, that would get that the the tiebreaker for any vote would be um, would be Kamala Harris as the vice president because she's got a, a largely ceremonial role in the Senate. But then it would become a more active role if it was 50 50. But there's a Georgia runoff January 5th. That's going to decide that. Um, but both of those Georgia seats could go could possibly go to the GOP. And then the GOP would have a 52-48 again. And then, of course, anything that Biden wanted to do over the next number of years would become um, nearly impossible. The fact that Biden won, but, but didn't sort of overwhelmingly win, and that the Democrats didn't really gain any seats, uh, we need th- th- there is a split on reality where progressives are definitely more willing to listen to reality um, and conservatives um, can't process reality or accept it if it doesn't fit into their very narrow nature. And I think the Democratic Party really needs to do a lot better with trying to bring these people in. Um, You're not going to get all of them. Some are racist, stupid, all the rest. But there are some who really do buy the lies when it comes to worrying about about socialism and all these other things that don't exist. So we can try to bring them along. There are some of these people that are never going to come along. But I believe that there are some that can whose issues are economic. um, And yes, they are willing to support a neo-Nazi for president just so they can get their economic concerns. And that's that's terrible. Like that should that's a that's a terrible choice. Um, but I, I, <laughs> the Democrats um, choose to dismiss all of these people at their own peril. It's confusing to most of us that anybody would look up to a failed businessman for economic rescue. However, as the old slogan goes, if you wander through the desert long enough in the absence of water, eventually you will try to drink the sand. Do it for long enough. And you'll convince yourself that it's working, even though you're killing yourself at an accelerated rate. Now, even though they're not all racist, their sins are not absolved. However, their economic concerns that made them follow a racist, rapist, narcissistic, misogynist, business failure, reality TV star need to be addressed. If the Democratic Party continues to dismiss them, Um, They are doing so at their own peril. They also risk Trump supporters following somebody even worse than Trump, somebody who is not just evil, but also competent. Andrew Yang addressed uh, this during the campaign. Yes, um, the cons are blaming job losses on immigrants, and those losses are real. The villain, however, is not, um, not illegals. Automation is being implemented in nearly every single industry, leading to real job losses. Um, Our trade deals are deeply unfair to American workers. Trump acknowledged this and then learned to use that language to his advantage. His solution was a dead end, but he understood the issue, even though even all of his things are made in China. The answer is training and education in emerging industries. Milkmen and whip and buggy manufacturers don't exist anymore. And it's not because immigrants came along and took those jobs. It's because uh, needs 
Industry and technology are constantly changing, and we must change with them. The GOP does not have any answers. Tax breaks for the rich. That's it. That's all they care about. But they've cracked the code on effective political language, and they know how to use it. Trump did nothing to make the lives of his supporters any better. Nothing. But he never stopped addressing their legitimate economic concerns. Eight out of ten jobs lost in the Rust Belt were lost to automation. Our trade deals still, to this day, encourage outsourcing. Even Trump's, even Trump's new trade deal encourages outsourcing. It even provides businesses with a tax break if they outsource. Self-driving big rigs are on our nation's highways already. I expect that within the next 10 years, so say by 2030, 90% of truck driving jobs will be lost to self-driving trucks. If you think blue-collar workers are suffering now, just wait. China will quit producing gasoline-burning cars by 2025, Europe by 2030, California by 2035. Uh, Most of this dramatic shift in the way we work will happen during the Joe Biden administration um, if he serves two terms, and I anticipate he will. There are often a lot of jobs connected to oil. We are in for a world of hurt over the, over the next decade, and it must be addressed now. Yesterday would have been better, but today will, of course, work. This is the issue that Andrew Yang ran on, and he's seen this freight train coming for a long time, and we should all be seeing it. If I see the Biden administration hire Yang, I'll know that, they'll re- that they're going to recognize this as an issue, and I hope they do, and there's no time to waste. Otherwise... You're leaving half of the country susceptible to, the sna- to another snake oil salesman like Trump. And in the absence of real leadership, folks will not hesitate again to drink the sand. Also, this needs to happen during Biden's first term. Uh, Trump, um, Bush, um, they're not the first presidents in recent history that are eligible to serve only one term. If Biden doesn't address this... It could happen to him, too. Character and decency were on the ballot this year, and they barely won. Remember that. The other thing from that call, Trump, Rush, you're all we have. Oh, my God. He's crying. Oh, my God. You're all we have. That's another freight train coming. Because part of the reason that... Trump is fighting for his life right now, and that's what he's doing. He's not just trying to steal an election and overturn uh, the Democratic uh, results. He's fighting for his life because he knows that when he gets out of office, there's a, there's a, whole, lot of, there's a whole lot of folks waiting around to slap cuffs on him because there's a whole lot of cases that have come up in the last four years Um, Because of the investigations that have proceeded against him that have not been able to go forward simply because he's the president. Once he's not the president, he's not going to have that protection anymore. And I expect that he's also going to lose his Twitter account. I heard the CEO of Twitter uh, not outwardly say that, um, but sort of alluded to that a little bit. That Yeah, he's been able to say what he's been able to say because he's not been a world leader. Because he's been, or excuse me, because he's been a world leader. But when he's not a world leader... Uh, the things that he says on his Twitter account constantly violate, constantly violate um, the the terms, uh, Twitter's terms. So to that gentleman who's so upset because Trump 
<laughs> and Rush are all you have. Um, Rush is on his way out, and I don't mean as a broadcaster. I mean that he is about to walk into the light. Um, he's got late-stage um, lung cancer. He's a heavy cigar smoker, so he did this to himself, and I don't think he's long for this world. And I think that we could lose Limbaugh in the next year. And I think Trump um, could end up um, in prison in the next year. And so that would be both of them gone. And so to, to people like this who believe that Trump is actually out for them, who believe that Limbaugh is actually out to help them, even though neither of these men have done anything to help working people ever. You think that they're responding terribly now. Just wait. Until, and I know that this guy is not alone in his thinking. You think they're responding terribly now. Just wait until they lose both of these guys who they say are all that they have left. Let me just finish with earlier today, you directed a comment to uh, my colleagues and I'm quoting. So I, correct me if I got this wrong. You said the more people who follow Mr. Trump, the more people will be where I am. Is it your expectation that people in the administration will end up where you are? Sadly, if they follow blind, blindly like I have, I think the answer is yes. And there's a lot of people doing that right now. A lot of people that are blindly following the president, enabling the lies that he's telling, and deeply damaging the democracy. My hope is by, that the next time that I get on this microphone, I'm able to say that, yay, um, we finally have a concession and the Biden administration is, but I fear that that's not what's going to happen. And when Biden becomes president, um, he needs to begin. He, he doesn't just get to skate along and make things normal and begin speaking in complete sentences and not calling people fat asses and retards on his Twitter account. Um, and, and just get to call that a successful presidency. Simply not being Donald Trump is not going to be good enough. The thing that he's going to have to do is he's going to have to start um, with whatever it takes to begin ushering in major change, addressing the job losses that are going to be the result of evaporating industries and, and not, not just bringing decency uh, and respect back to the presidency, um, but actually saying and doing whatever it takes to show people that you are with them. It's not enough to just be nice and be a functional adult. You, you have to bring about, you have to usher in painful, major change. Otherwise... We could see Trump again in four years or eight years. And the next dictator that fills that vacuum, which is expecting to be filled by a dictator, is going to be smarter and more functional than Donald Trump and 10 times as destructive. Winning the election isn't enough. We got a lot of work ahead of us. Thank you for being here on the Fire You Can't Put Out. Our official home is tfycpo.podbean.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TFYCPO. Um, questions, comments, hate mail, just a general statement or inquiry, you can email us 
It's TFYCPO at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform and entertain, but also to keep an open dialogue with you, our base. So thank you for listening. We are the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail. Rejecting austerity in favor of prosperity. Special thanks to Kevin for producing, and thank you for listening. This is Melvin signing off. And now that I have woke you up, good morning.